The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to The Farm Show. A busy agenda this evening. In a moment, we'll be listening to Eamon Ryan, uh, Minister for the Environment. Uh, and I should say that this uh, interview was conducted before the tractor protests last week. Uh, and speaking of tractors, uh, Moon Coyne will be out ploughing at the weekend. I'll have news on that later. And in, again, on tractors, we'll be talking to Morris Kelly and uh, Trevor Tyrrell and Noel Dunn uh, down in Boris, because not only are Kelly celebrating uh, 30 years, but they're also... Uh, launching an autonomous tractor. The, the, the new age has already arrived. Elsewhere, of course, we'll have our March reports and uh, we'll chat to someone from Carlo IFA if we can about those protests and huge and most uh, positive-looking research into new clovers that can pretty much, if they work out well, eliminate or severely reduce the need for uh, nitrogenous uh, fertiliser, chemical fertilisers. First, let's hear from Eamon Ryan. Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan. I specifically wanted to ask you about the targets set for agri and the agri-food sector and whether you believe they can be achieved in the timescale. I think they can. And we'll have to go further. The targets are for 2050, really. And so any interim target, 2030 and beyond, it's just a staging post to towards having a country that meets... It, the targets are all based on the science and is set in the Paris Climate Agreement. And it does require all countries, but especially kind of developed, wealthier countries like Ireland to roughly half our emissions by the middle of this or by the end of this decade and, and go net zero by 2050. Agriculture won't have as high a target uh, and for good reason. There are other sectors, the likes of energy sector can do more quicker. So so it's not that uh, agriculture will face an undue burden, but everyone does have to play their part. I think my confidence in us being able to do it is based increasingly in the last two years, if you look at what's happened, now, I haven't got the final figures yet because it's only just the start of the new year. But last year, I th- last two years, I think our use of nitrogen fertilizers reduced by some 27%. That's a huge drop. And I mean, largely driven probably because the high price of fertilizers in uh, due to the war in Ukraine. But it shows what can be done. You know, we didn't have a drop in dairy production or beef production or, or sheep production at, at the same time. So, you know, we can use, for example, just to take that one element, less fertilizers in my mind, and it can actually save farmers money. That makes it possible. I think, I think farming fits in very much with wider land use emissions reductions. And because farmers are involved in, in terms of, you know, that there's a whole range of different land types we have and so on. But just to take a broaden it out somewhat, I think we've seen in some other areas, the likes of re- rehabilitating peatlands, we've shown we can do it. Board the Mona are doing an incredible job. Now that's not farming, but, but it just shows how you can, you can change land use in effect. And I think the third point to maybe I'd highlight too, things that are kind of significant. What I'm seeing is the agri-food industry starting to realise that they too have to uh, meet these targets. Most of the large um, dairy cooperatives and large food businesses, the Tierlands, the Lakelands, the Kerry Group and so on, they've all signed up to what's, what are called these science-based targets, 30% reduction in emissions by 2030. 
And I think they're increasing. I, I had a very good visit. I was down in Tierlon recently meeting the management team there. And it seemed to me that there wasn't much of a difference between ourselves and themselves in terms of how we can turn this into an opportunity, how it is a, if we don't do it, it's probably the biggest risk to Irish agriculture that we trade on an origin green brand. And if we weren't seen to be really origin green in everything we do, that would be the biggest risk. That would eat into our ability to get a premium for the foods, which we do get in most of our major markets. So I think it is achievable. It's not easy. In, in, in no sector, change is never easy, but I absolutely think it's possible. And I think it'll only really work if it's for the betterment of Irish agriculture and the Irish food uh, sector as well. The technologies around low emission manure spreading and prote- the use of protected urea, they're well established and relatively easily adopted and, and, and achieved. The challenge around reducing methane from the livestock herd, that's a big challenge. What are your thoughts on that? We've just published, I suppose, our latest iteration of the Climate Action Plan. It's updated every year. So the Climate Action Plan for this year, for 24, is looking at a number of other technological advances and developments that we could turn to to help us close the gap. One of those is the use of these feed additives. Trinops is one of the brand names. People will know it. It's, it's a uh, feed additive which juices the enzyme. Don't ask me there now the science of how it works in the gut of a, uh, of a, cat, of a cow. But it does seem that it, it has potential to further reduce methane emissions, particularly from the ruminant process. So we're going to obviously, I mean, it's Chagas and the Department of Agriculture who lead out in this. But we think that's a potential further measure that could be significant. Now, it's tricky because it tends to apply so far in feedlot type systems rather than grass fed pasture uh, grass feeding. But there are other countries trying to look at apply it in in the type of forms like the New Zealand dairy industry and others are are looking at it, which be similar to us in some of the characteristics. So I think that has real potential. Methane is a complex one in terms of reducing. You've got all sorts of different types of methane. You have fossil methane, you have methane from land use, from landfills, as well as methane from agriculture. I think methane will, you know, in future years, get more attention. Is my sense from the international climate negotiations. I'm involved in those. And what I'm hearing there is people to start to say, well, we need to start addressing that now. And it's a very complicated issue. I expect it will be the next commission that starts to looking at it and will start to look at a whole variety of different issues around carbon farming and methane reduction. So, And, and the rules around that even are very complicated. So uh, it's, it's probably one of the more complicated, more difficult ones. I think we need to work with the farming community in terms of how we achieve it. And admit all the uncertainty, particularly in the land use emissions, it's a very complex issue. So we we work together on a scientific basis, apply some of those solutions like the three naps, as well as other range of different measures, which I think will help. Ultimately, do you think it may be necessary to take that drastic step of reducing the herd, the livestock herd overall? I think the herd will reduce. Is my sense, if I listen to people in the Department of Agriculture and elsewhere, they recognise the likes of our beef herd is likely to reduce. It's not a highly profitable business for a lot of farmers, unfortunately. I, I think that's an issue we have to address. Um, I think there's a limits in terms of what our dairy uh, herd... I mean, we've looked at the nitrous directive, that the way that that is, is going to... Uh, apply that that'll we won't be seeing an intensification a further intensification of Irish farming I think there's a number of ways I think the key issue is 
Okay, the number of animals is one issue around uh, methane and other emissions. I think we need to look at the income first and foremost as the lens. And I think there are a number of different ways which we can reduce emissions. It may lead to less intensive and lower herd numbers, but higher income for the farmer, which is surely the most important parameter. And I give an example. We are about to, and it's slightly longer later than I would have liked, but it'll be out shortly, publish a, a strategy around biomethane, around the production of biomethane gas. I think there, what a lot is the most optimal system will be where we, I mean, we have a comparative competitive advantage in growing grass. Our country is very well, the climate, the soil, our capabilities are very well suited for grass production. Some of that grass production will go into anaerobic digestion. You could well have a farm, let's say you could have a dairy or beef farm, some of the grass obviously grazed, fed for cattle, but others fed into a anaerobic digesture, mixed with the slurry, mixed with other waste products, and that creates biomethane gas. And that gives a regular, reliable income stream to the farmer. It's using the same skills in gas growth and production. You would have a smaller herd, but you would have a higher income, is the plan. There are other examples. I mean, there's been a tripling of the number of people in going into organic farming in the lifetime of this government, thanks to Pippa Hackers, I think, and a lot of the work she's doing. There you will have slightly less intense, yes, you don't have the level of numbers of cows per hectare, but again, you can get a premium and you can get a higher income and you've lower cost base as well. So there again, you're seeing lower numbers, but higher income. And, and I think that it's the diversification opportunities we have to really work out and make sure that there's a solid and a secure income for farming. And yes, that will involve, you know, in the end, it's, it's a lower herd size, but higher income. And I think that's what we need to strive for. Just two questions on those two subjects you mentioned. Now, when you say shortly, I've heard this before about uh, biomethane and time is moving on and it yeah. takes time to build momentum and uh, scale. Can you give an actual time scale on when? Weeks, not months, but I can't go beyond that. That's, that's fine. And I, I get the idea of biodigesters, direct income, commercial income. For a lot of the people getting into organics, there is a, a worry in the background that it's being driven entirely by financial supports and that the premiums that one would expect for organic produce, and which are available in some countries, are, are not obvious at this stage here. Different markets, different circumstances, I think. I know my colleague, I mentioned Pippa, she's been an organic herself and her husband Mark for, for a good few years now. And I'm regularly asking her, what price are you getting? And, and it is always uh, at a premium over the price for beef in her case. I think we've had difficulties in terms of the likes of lamb and some other markets, you're right. There hasn't, we, we haven't developed a secure, stable, profit, you know, kind of premium type market. But I don't, I come from a marketing background uh, originally, though I worked in that in UCD and, and studied it. And I, I can't believe it's beyond the bounds of us, a country particularly which is trading on an origin green brand, uh, which has a comparative advantage here. We do have a less intense system, particularly in sheep and beef, actually, and in our suckler and other sectors, that we can't turn that, particularly if it goes organic, into a marketing advantage that gives us a premium in our main markets, Britain, Germany, France, America, uh, Middle East, and so on. I know that the consumers are, you know, there is a significant market for it. So I think that's a lot, I mean, my mind's a large responsibility of Board BIA and the Department of Agriculture to make sure we do get a strong market system in place for organic. 
There was a lot of controversy over the reduction in the uh, nitrates threshold. And I heard you focus on it at the ICMSA AGM. It's down at 220 now. Do you think that can be managed for those who require it? I think it has to be. We cannot compromise on water quality. We do have an issue, particularly in the south and east, in our rivers and in our lakes. And we need to restore that. And we need to restore it for so many different reasons. It's a real advantage we have as a country that we have the potential to have pristine water systems, healthy water, healthy air and clean air and clean water. So you can't compromise on it. I think we can deliver a vibrant, viable Irish agricultural sector and still have clean, meet our clean water objectives. And, uh, and it's difficult for us. I think it's about 3,000 farmers or, or so were, were kind of in, the, in a real bind on the, uh, because of the uh, change in the derogation. I don't think they, were, in a sense, would be well served if we just said, oh, well, listen, you know, we can ignore that. We can't. We, we trade an Irish green brand. You can't ignore basic, the first absolute basic ground rules of European environmental law. And I think some of the measures that I mentioned there in terms of diversification will help us in meeting the nitrates level. Forestry Minister, a lot of hopes being pinned on forestry for sequestration and any other number of societal benefits. But we're a long, long way from achieving our our targets. Confidence of all things has fallen away and even the, the new supports, which are greatly enhanced, will they rebuild confidence and planting? I think they will because it's very profitable. These are very good premiums, like, as you say, very significantly enhanced and tax-free. And the revenue over the, you know, the from the wood and so on, from the tax-free and the premiums over the period, 20 years, tax-free, and then you can sell on the land or sell on. I think a lot of people are resistant, particularly in Irish farming, because there's a sense you don't want to give up farming, which is understandable, absolutely correct. You don't just cover the land and trees and then walk away and, and kind of, you know, there's a heritage, there's a great enterprising culture in farming. So, and not the forest doesn't have it, but you kind of, there's a sense, a cultural sense almost. What I'm really interested in is is the, the schemes where we put in this capability that you can forest a certain part of the land, go one hectare, two hectares, without some necessarily all the big highfalutin complex licensing and other systems. I'll give you one other example. The whole potential development for mixed ward grass production. And I know it's so obvious and simple, but the results are remarkable. Like, it, it, firstly, you get animals finished quicker. You can reduce your use of nitrogen fertilizer by 60, 70 plus percent, which is a huge saving for the farmer. But also in the world we're going into, what the climate scientists tell us, that we will have more heavy rains in the West and in winter, but across the country, as we've seen this year, but also possibly drier conditions in South and East and in different parts of the country. It, it more, we have a much more, much less stable weather systems is what we're going into. A mixed ward grass system gives you deep-rooted grasses, which are more resilient to drought and extreme wet conditions. Ultimately, there's nothing to gain for the Irish environmental movement if we don't, if we're not hand in glove with the Irish farming community, because in the end, it's the farming community is going to manage our land and uh, protect nature, and be involved. And their skills needed in terms of restoring water systems and so on. If we decided, oh well, listen, we're, we're going to dig in here and fight, where would it go? And similarly for Irish farming community and particularly the food industry, if they're not in lockstep with the environmental movement 
that's the biggest risk. Because in the markets, the really big markets where we make a lot of money that pay for the whole system, you know, the likes of the Baileys, the likes of the Kerry Gold, the likes of the Irish beef getting premium in, in high quality markets. If it ain't green, it ain't going to sell. And they know that. And so there's going to be nothing gained if it's a fight, if it's a divide between environment and, and, and agriculture. It has to unite. Two comments to, to finish. Is there potential for carbon farming in Ireland in the future? And the whole question of where emissions should be charged on the inventory, if you like, should it be in the, at the production end as with agriculture here? Or the consumer end, oil, for instance, works in the opposite direction. Well, firstly, I absolutely see it coming with real certainty. It won't be until the next commission, but they are absolutely working on it. And I expect it will, that'll start to evolve in the next two to three years. It's highly complicated because land use emissions are not a black and white easy issue to measure and to monitor and so on. But I think it is coming. What we need more than anything else is good monitoring and management of data. For carbon farming to work, you have to know, well, what's the real science of what's happening? That, more than anything else, requires trust in terms of trust of the farming community of, as to where the money's going and how you know they're being treated, but also trust that we are really recording the emissions correctly. I think we have the opportunity there. And, um, and that other issue then, The other issue is complicated because you're right, there are different ways that things are treated. But... Are we going to get the international community, and this is this has to be worked out at the UN level, go back to the climate negotiation, as to where you could argue about that, you know, for example, our emissions. But then you know, take, for example, I'm just drinking the coffee there. Does that carbon emissions for the coffee lie with me or does it lie with the grower? That's going to be worked out in the UN level process. I don't know the answer to that question in, in terms of where the UN would go, even though I'm involved in the negotiations at, at a reasonably high level. It's not resolved yet. They're focusing first on fossil fuel and on methane. All the discussion in Dubai was around phase out of fossil fuels. But the debate on land use is not far away. But just last thing I'd say that people sometimes say, you know, why should we do it? Because if sure, if we didn't produce the beef or whatever product you want to name, it'll only come from Brazil anyway. Brazil also have to reduce their emissions by 50%, go net zero in the next three decades. Argentina, the same. No one has an out. On the climate side, one of the things, while it's very uncertain and difficult negotiation process, we're still a United Nations when it comes to climate because everywhere is at risk. Like the Amazon is really at risk. The drought at the moment this year in the Amazon is beyond compare. So it's not as if we will be the only people doing this. Brazil will have to do it too. I see it as an opportunity in a sense for Irish farming. Our farming system is not as threatened as others by climate change. In terms of like I meet my colleague from Spain, you look at what's happening in southern Spain. Like we're talking about desert, desertification, no water, lack of water. You can't do agriculture without water. We will have water. We will have a mild temperate climate. We have the opportunity here to provide sustainable food that helps meet the climate challenge and helps give Irish farmers a stable income. We're probably better placed than most other countries. And I think the Irish farming community and food industry are actually ahead of the media in this. I'm not too sure sometimes because everyone loves a good fight. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Now, time to get across to Boris. Um, Kelly's are celebrating uh, their, I think, their third decade in uh, in business. And uh, Noel Dunn, first of all, joins me. Noel Dunn, of course, uh, machinery editor with the Irish Farmers Monthly. 
Noel, it's been a busy day. You were up in, I think, Port Leash at the uh, Farm Contractors Conference. How did that go, first of all? Yes, actually, FTMTA conference, the uh, Trade Associate conference went very, very well. Great attendance. Uh, uh, great to see uh, uh, Mr. McConnell there actually uh, feeding a lot of questions from the machinery industry about various things from recruitment to TAMs and stuff like that. All very well covered and very, very positive. Um, he was expressing a, uh, a lot of goodwill towards um, you know what's going to happen in the future on TAMs grant aid and stuff like that to aid machinery and particularly looking at the area's development to help companies uh, fundamentally get products in the UK that need, should I say, certification of machines being used uh, on ground because we're having difficulty getting certifications at the moment, uh, bringing back in kit from the UK. So there, that was addressed along with a lot of good speakers on various issues and all the main subjects really addressed with social media marketing and stuff like that within the industry and of course there was an awful lot discussed around the area of recruitment and getting young people into the machinery industry. Now, tell me what you're doing in Boris, in Kelly's of Boris, uh, this evening. Well, this evening, we're absolutely delighted at an enormous cost. Um, should I say that Trevor Tyrrell, who is a, a senior vice president of Western uh, Eastern Europe and Oceanic countries of class, the head guy from class, an Irish man, of course, in the niche, originally from the Offaly Kildare Porter, you've uh, interviewed and chatted to him before. We're delighted to have him here with us. And of course, joined by Morris Kelly, who is a big day today, 67 years in business, 30 years with class, uh, basically. And also, he's something to tell you when I put him on to you about his little ag seed robotic tractor, first commercially available. In Ireland. But first of all, uh, Matt, I'll pass you over for a few questions to um, to Trevor. Trevor, it's, it's 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 been a while. Delighted to to chat to you. How how goes the business? Very well, Matt. Uh, after two or three hectic years with supply problems and uh, cost increases, I would say that the business has returned to normal, uh, and it's nice to be back to normal. Uh, we have a yard full of stock here. Uh, it's all in good time for harvest which we've not managed to do the last few years in, in certain areas. And uh, the business is running well. We could do with a little bit less rain, Matt, if you could organise that. Uh, besides that, it's all good. Believe me, at about four o'clock this evening, if I could have organised a, 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 a dry spell, I would have. I tell you, it, it's, it's it's very wet out there. But, uh, Trevor, it just strikes me that uh, as a farmer, I'm I'm seeing the, the at first hand the volatility in the sector uh, right across all the enterprises in terms of uh, price fluctuations and weather impacts and so on. Equally, your end of the business must feel that volatility for any number of reasons. Of course, and it's not so much the price of the commodity, Matt, it's the gap between the costs and the price. And the costs have come down in some areas as well, fertiliser and so on, which is good news. I see fuel now creeping up again with the problems in the, uh, in the Red Sea. So, uh, but as long as there's a gap between the selling price and the buying price, that's the main thing that matters. Um, and that's what I mean. But the business is really much more stable now than it's been for a few years. Going forward, Matt, I'm, no, I'm no, not going to predict or make any, any predictions. I don't have a crystal ball. But I, I always say that as long as people keep on eating, we're going to keep on producing food in our sector and produce food uh, with a, a growing population and fewer people in agriculture, more bigger machines, with more automation, more technology is what's needed. Uh, that's the kind of fight and talk I like to hear, Trevor. You're there in uh, Kelly's, one of your major a agencies in Ireland. Uh, pass me across to Morris, will you? So, yeah, Morris is one of our is our biggest dealer in Ireland and our longest, also longest serving dealer. So, thirty years in business. 
and uh, he's here with his family tonight, and we're very proud to be celebrating his 30th anniversary. Morris. Hi, Matt. Morris, um, c- c- congratulations. Uh, 30 years with class, but uh, the business goes back much further. Yes, we started in 1957. My dad started the business, and myself and my brother Terry, we carried on the business, and now we have Gillian and Richard, for a son and daughter of mine, and they're in the business now for the last seven or eight years. So, thankfully, we've gone from success to success, and, and class have played a major part in that. If we didn't have something as good as class across their whole product range in our business, then we just wouldn't be as successful as we are. We also need the customers, so we have to say a big thanks to the customers for buying those machines over the years. We think we've put 600 machines new, uh, just harvesters um, through our hands, and you can say another 900 used, so that's about 1,500 machines in those 30 years. Um, We've huge stocks here on display, a lot of different franchises as well as class, and I'm glad to say that we big support from all our manufacturers, either uh, with extended warranty or interest rates where it's down to zero or low interest rates. And that's a big help to the, to the farmers. No, that's enough of your, that's enough of your advertising, Morris. I, I said at the top of the programme that the age of uh, autonomy was upon us. Tell me about AgExceed. Right. AgSeed is um, an ag bot, and there's three different types. Uh, but the one that we have on display here is uh, a track machine, no cab, fully autonomous, uh, fully legal to be used in fields without any supervision. Um, it has a 160-horsepower engine driving into a generator to motors. So it's 100% efficient. It's not like, you know, a transmission, a normal transmission in a tractor. I suppose the driver of all this technology, I suppose, number one, is probably labor. Uh, it can work 20 hours nonstop. It can work through the night uh, to do the job efficiently every time, all the time, for every hour it works. Tell me the target audience, target crops, I suppose. We... We think it'll sell into uh, veg, into weeding, into tillage for cultivation, for sowing. For sowing, obviously, you have to have somebody in hand to to load the drill. Uh, You have to have smart implements behind it, but they're all being developed at the moment. They have 120 units sold uh, around the world as we speak. And I think they've just launched a, a grant in the UK for robotics, which will drive that market in the UK. Hopefully we'll get something similar over here. Morris, I wish you the best uh, for the rest of the evening. Congratulations on 67 years and 30 years with class. And my thanks to Trevor and Noel. Take care and enjoy the rest of the evening. Thanks, Matt. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Now you'll recollect that uh, Carlo IFA uh, called off the, their, their support for the solidarity tractor protest last week because of the terrible, terrible tragedy uh, down Carlo Way. But they did decide to go ahead with it this evening. I'm joined by John Nolan of Carlo IFA. John, uh, I was just talking to Morris Kelly of, of Boris about uh, autonomous tractors, but you have plenty of tractors and drivers. Good evening, Matt. Yes, um, we're here in uh, Woody's Car Park or uh, Woody's Car Park Stroke KFC. So this is where we're going to congregate um, at the end. Um, Jennifer Manane is to be here and some other politicians. But yeah, it's a huge turnout, well over 100 tractors and a few trucks and uh, jeeps. So a great turnout. And look, it, we know what happened last week was, was horrific and it was the right thing to do to postpone and out of respect for the three young people that died tragically on our roads. And um, but look, there was a, an appetite that we, the farmers wanted to come out and uh, have their voices heard, and so here we are this evening. So you're going to have a cavalcade? Is it through Carlow Town or what? I, I'm sure people will understand, and it's a good hour of the evening that it won't interfere with people heading home to their supper or that kind of thing. Yeah, look, we don't want to interfere with anybody or any of the public. You know, we want the public on our side, and uh, uh, yeah, we started there at seven o'clock, so. The, the, all the vehicles are heading uh, heading up here now. There should be there's even a few of them arriving here already. So, um, but no, you know, we 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 appreciate. Um, it, we didn't want to be going too early in the evening, so it's a, it's a good time of the evening to do it. Yes. And just in conclusion, John, uh, the weather it, it it really has collapsed, hasn't it? Uh, adding to adding to the the poor mindset of farmers, if you like. It has, Matt. It's a dried up, lovely and conditions were improving and the rain today and yeah it's, it's, it's gone backwards but sure, look that's that's Ireland for you it's uh, still a, we, we're having the bad climate we're still able to get the you know food is always produced and um, with no major extremes and uh, but look I suppose in saying that climate change is an issue and we're, 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 we're playing our part in that you know and the farmers are going to do that and we'll abide by the law we'll do what we have to do but at the same time we have grievances and uh, we, we, we'll air them and you know hopefully tonight the polit- some politicians will be here and they'll, they'll hear what we have to say Take care John and the best of luck Thank you Matt The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com a new project seeks to eliminate dependence of grassland farming on nitrogen fertilizer. Sounds like a wonderful concept. I'm joined by Paul Billings. He's MD of Germinal UK and Ireland. Paul, you're very welcome to the farm show. Thank you for having me on. Paul, my understanding of this is that a lot of the, what I'd call the technology, uh, the bits and pieces are available at a basic level but you need to enhance clovers, you need to enhance soil microbiology, you, bring, you need to bring the whole package together, which could result in a huge uh, reduction in the need for chemical fertilizers, chemical nitrogen. Yeah, yeah Matt, you're, you're very right. Uh, that's exactly what we're doing. We're looking for a natural solution, one that actually kind of already exists, but one we can enhance and improve. So we, we have two main aims in the project. The one, as you say, is to reduce and perhaps even eliminate the need for chemical nitrogen application to our grasslands. And the other is to improve the efficiency by which animals graze that grassland, how much they take out of it, how much they convert the protein, uh, tiny grassland into meat and milk protein. 
By doing all that, you can obviously we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We can maintain food production at the current levels and the stocking rates at the same current levels, reduce the cost of food and improve farm income. So it's a, it's a win-win for everyone. Now, the British government has uh, provided a grant of €4 million euro equivalent uh, to yourselves as the lead uh, in, in the research project, Origin Enterprises and Aberyst with University also involved. And I know you have a long-standing relationship with Aberyst with. So you've given me the overall view. Bring me down now to the nitty-gritty of what's going to be involved. Okay, right. So the two parts to this project. The first part, which is reducing the amount of nitrogen that we have to apply to our grassland. We're all aware that governments want to reduce the amount of nitrogen we're applying, and are beginning to legislate to do that. And we know the impacts. We're already hearing farmers saying we're going to have to reduce stocking rates by 20%. We want to try and avoid that. Now, we know plants need nitrogen to grow, and particularly they need it for vegetative growth, for leaf growth. So in grasslands, that's even more important. But if we restrict the amount of nitrogen we apply, we can't grow as many plants. But the air, the air around us, contains 78% nitrogen. If we can use some of that nitrogen to feed our plants, we don't have to apply as much, and we can have the same production. So clovers or legumes in grassland will take nitrogen from the atmosphere, free, clean nitrogen from the atmosphere, and fix it into the soil for plants to use to grow. What we're doing is improving that process by putting better rhizobia with the seed into the soil, which are more efficient and can capture more of the nitrogen, and by feeding the clover with the right nutrition packages to, again, make them to fix more nitrogen. So currently, a good, a very good grass clover swarm with perhaps 30% of clover in it by dry matter will fix 100, 150 kilos of nitrogen. We think we can get that up to 300 kilos of nitrogen. That would be a real game changer. And the beauty of this is you're not going to upset anyone with genetic modifications and so on. This is basically plant breeding, crossing and and gaining hybrid vigor in existing plants. Absolutely. It's all very, very conventional plant breeding. Uh, There's no gene editing, no GM, none of that in it at all. This is all conventional plant breeding, using nature, selecting plants from nature that do things better, selecting rhizobia from nature that do things better, and combining the two together. Now, you're not starting from from day one. There's there's a fair bit of basic groundwork done. You've got hybrid clovers, for instance, those double root varieties, and you have a red clover, which should be able to help protein take up by cattle, thrive, if you like. Absolutely, yeah. So let's do, let's do the red clover first, which we call red runner. So that's a red clover that grows like a white clover. So uh, white clover is a fantastic plant. It's really persistent. We can use it in grazing and cutting swords. Amazing. It grows with stolon, so it persists. Red clover doesn't have that stolon, so it dies out quite quickly. We use it in silage ground for cutting. We can't really use it for grazing because it doesn't last very long. But red clover's got something in it called polyphenol oxidase. Let's call it PPO. That PPO protects the protein. It slows down the speed of protein breakdown, which means the animal, when it grazes it, can capture more of the protein, perhaps up to 50% more of the protein from red clover than from white clover. So you capture more of what you're growing in your field using red clover. Red runner, our, our red clover varieties, we found on a plant hunting trip. They naturally occurred. They have stolons. They grow like white clover. So we can use those in our grazing swords and we can protect the protein in our grazing swords. 
So if effectively, you're bringing together plant breeding, the soil microbiology, and I want to get onto that. You've got agronomy and, and reductions in carbon emissions. This whole concept of improving soil microbiology, there are, there are microbes in the soil that will be useful in this context. Yeah, there is. So the, the, the rhizobia in the soil, the one we're concentrating on in this project, which are bacteria, uh, and they are extremely useful. Uh, they, they're in most soils. Some peaty wet soils have no rhizobia in, but they're in most soils. But there are different strains of rhizobia. So it's selecting the right strain to go with the right species and variety you are, you're growing. So to get them in synchrony, that's the whole point of this process. Further beyond that, soil microbiology, I think that is the future. Uh, I think that's where we'll be going with all our plant breeding, uh, but that's in the next 10, 20 years' time as technology allows us to do that. I think there's so much we can do underground. For many centuries, plant breeding has concentrated above ground, on leaves, on plants, on seeds and grains. But what's happening with the roots is really going to be very important for the future. Well, with this specific project now, Paul, project NUE-LEG for legume, I assume, your ambitions, you're positive, obviously, positively disposed that this can work and and be proved adoptable on farms. Give give me a time scale before it can hopefully roll roll out onto commercial farms. Right. Well, we're going to start this year. This spring, we're going to start to sow some of this on commercial farms. So we have 14 commercial farms signed up. And they're going to be our demonstration farms. So we're going to start with the technology that currently exists this spring, this summer, and so there. And then we're going to be sowing continually on those farms and improving that technology and showing the gains we are making over the next four years. And we have uh, businesses like AgriCalc involved in the process. And we're going to be doing carbon footprinting at the start, in the middle, and at the end. So we can prove what we're actually doing, not just say it. We're going to be able to prove the, the, the advantages and the gains that we are making. Those 14 farms, by the way, are dairy, both extensive and intensive. The sheep farms, beef farms, upland, lowland farms, family farms, large estates, organic farms and conventional farms. We've got the whole spectrum covered because we think this can work on every type of farm. And Paul, you're fully familiar with the Irish grass grazed uh, system, and you think it can work there on intensive grazed dairy farms in Ireland as as much as anywhere else? Absolutely, I do, and I think it has to be able to work there. That is the area we need to focus on. Ireland and the UK are one of uh, some of the best places in the world to produce red meat and dairy from. That's why we need to improve our systems here because we need to keep producing it here because we have the climate and the soils that enable us to do it. All I can do is wish you the best of luck. This kind of research very, very badly needed. It sounds like a practical proposition and one that ultimately would have that dual result, I assume, of reducing emissions, which we're obliged to do, and also maintain or even improve farm profitability. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, that is the key to all of this. All of this net zero talk is to improve efficiency and improve efficiencies, reduces your emissions and should positively impact your bottom line. That's what it's about. And thank you for the best wishes on the project. I'm told a game changer is much overused. I don't think so in this context. Uh, the, the best of luck, Paul, and thank you. 
Meanwhile, uh, I've word from Brian Ireland, Mooncoin Ploughing Association holding uh, its annual plough match on next Sunday the 11th on Ned Delahunty's farm. That's down in Portnus Scully, starting at 11am. All classes uh, uh, are being contested, including, uh, here's the novelty, local class for men and women who want to try their hand at ploughing a, a straight or indeed a crooked furrow. And the best of luck to them, uh, keep your fingers crossed because uh, ground conditions are at the moment are not conducive to uh, ploughing but maybe it's much drier down in Mooncoin who knows they have their own climate down there over to uh, Tullow for Eric's sheep report Another large sale today in Tullow here with over 1,600 sheep on offer and looking to the trade there. Those trade for them good flesh targets again. No change on last week there. Selling there from the mid-160s up to uh, 174 today, top call. But the majority selling there between uh, 163 and 4 up to 168. Some noticeable prices there then. One bundle there, 51 kilos making 169 today. Yos and Weathers there, well-fleshed continental type sheep. Over to the store trade then, those forward stores, those uh, early 40 kilos, they're selling there from 128 up to 141 and 2, depending on flesh and type. Uh, with the lighter stores then, um, 30 to 32 kilos, they're selling from 95 and 6 up to 106 or 7, depending on types again. With a good uh, 37 to 40 kilos, they're selling out there from the 110 up to 127 and 8 euros. And uh, up to 32 and 3 there in some cases with them 40 kilos. Cash show trade, no great change here. Heavy yos, them good continental heavy yos, selling in excess of two euro a kilo. Lots of yos between 170 and 190 a kilo, with the store yos selling between 150 and 170 for the majority. With them good fit store yos. Yos with lambs at foot there, those units, uh, twin units, they're selling in excess of 300 euro up to 320 there, on, uh, for we have seen there, with single units selling there from 190 to 210, depending on the age of the lamb at foot and the type of yo. Just to remind everyone that next Tuesday we have a dispersal sale of 500 in Lamios, 500 in Lamios, all from the one flock next Tuesday, due from the 15th of March on. Cattle sale this Friday, cattle sale this Friday, and coming up we have our organic sale, we have a dairy sale and a machinery auction, all on Wednesdays in the end of February, early March. Thank you. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart Serving the farming community for over 60 years George Candler, without his trusty gavel, is in studio. Yes, uh, and Matt, you're talking about mooncoin ploughing there, you know. Those ploughmen, they're... they're, they're and a, women. And women, sorry, ploughmen and women. It's a religion to them, isn't it? A special colleague of ours, too, is sort of... Uh, he has a... What's the word? He's in, in deep love with ploughing. Right. M- mania and manic are the words I choose. Exactly. Uh, turn that sod. Anyway, a smaller sale today in Kilkenny, but my goodness, a fantastic trade. Just shows you the uh, heifer sale. Now, agreed that's on before the, because um, the cows are no longer on the Thursday. It's there on the Tuesday and they're uh, flying it. But um, uh, the sale today of uh, heifers was over a quarter to one. The sale of bullocks was co- over a quarter past two. It's sort of a, a, a half day. So if you want to get into a mart that's efficient, get Food cattle get great prices. Come to Kilkenny. Smaller sales today in Kilkenny, as I said, uh, remaining very strong. Quality continental bullocks are ranging from 280 to 340 per kilo. Actually, one price today of 350 per kilo. Angus bullocks range from 235, and that was a poorish price the way things are going, to 285 per kilo. Heavy Frisians, even, they range from 240 to 265 per kilo. So, and heifers were in short supply. So, 600 kilo plus bullocks range from 239 to 337. 
seven per kilo. That's fifteen sixty twenty two hundred euro uh, per head. Five to six hundred kilo bullock from two ten to three thirty per kilo. Eleven twenty to eighteen sixty per head. With a four to five hundred kilo bullock from one eight five to three forty per kilo. Eight hundred euro to sixteen forty per head. Under four hundred kilo from one eighty to two eight five per kilo. That's four fifty to nine thirty per head. Now, as I mentioned, Tuesday a cold cow sale. A smaller number this week. One hundred and fifty on offer on Tuesday. Fridge and cold cows. 120 to 230 per kilo. Continentals from 160 to 280 per kilo. In the Heifer Division today in Kilkenny, 260 to 320 per kilo. That's 1640 to 2040 per head. Four so heifer from 240 to 325 per kilo. 1180 to 1530 per head. And lighter types from 220 to 318 per kilo are a price range of 680 to 1140 per head. So Matt, as you can see, to buy those prices, plenty of life about the trade. Though there is talk that their factories uh, might want to pl- uh, slip prices a bit but maybe that's talk rather than happening yeah i see a similar si- i see a similar situation in the states i was just reading i think fellow o'neill today talking about uh, factory margins in the states under pressure and it, it's it's because of high prices more than big uh, demand uh, it, there's a shortage of cattle and long may it last supply and demand and long may it last rose rose Butcher Hoggets on Tuesday now because we had a bank holiday Monday uh, the Butcher Hoggets range from 155 to 172 per head the factory type from 130 to 155 per head store lands from 90 to 127 I think 35 kilo there got into 112 I think it was on, on Tuesday coal use from 80 to 180 per head so Monday next is going to be a busy day we'll have a sale of uh, of uh, lambs uh, or Hoggets they uh, kicks off at 10 a.m. Uh, we've also in lamb use uh, from for the Brendan MacDonald of Stockwashstein. Brendan's uh, selling out his flock there. Uh, there's about 50 or 60 on offer. They're all in in lamb. They have plenty of size, plenty of good confirmation. Uh, they're in lamb to a pedigree Charlie Ram uh, due early March onwards. That will be kicking off on the conclusion of the cull use sale uh, approximately 12 o'clock or 12.15 on Monday. Also on Monday we have 100 dairy animals. That's uh, about 70 Frisian uh, heifers and cows freshly calved there's about 70 of those and the rest is uh, made up of uh, about 30 in calf lots and that sale kicks off at 12.30 on Monday on Tuesday next we have a wean wean, well if there's a few weanings we're trying to have the weanings now on a Thursday instead of the Tuesday runners and calves will kick off at uh, 10.30 on Tuesday with the cold cow sale at 10am and just to remind people out there uh, our mayor Mr. Joe Malone's having a special in conjunction with Kilkenny Lines a special table quiz that's on the 6th of March it's at 8pm it's an aid of Amber Refuge Centre team of four is 40 euro in the New Park Hotel last year I think we had about 52 tables involved uh, with uh, Mayor David Fitzgerald this year it's in conjunction with uh, Mayor Joe Malone in aid of uh, Amber that could be a good night Matt maybe it'll rustle up a team the 6th of March uh, at 8pm in New Park Hotel uh, that sounds uh, w- w- worthy of interest for sure. Q&A. Uh, I, I, I prefer uh, asking uh, the questions uh, than answering uh, 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 them. No, I'm not asking a question. <laughs> I am there on the night as sort of emceeing the thing. But if nice brown envelopes are exchanged, I may get a few answers to you. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> 
it's good to have it all on the surface, George. You know, I mean, don't hide it. You know, if, the, the one thing you should be is a man of principle. Oh don't, yeah, well, don't yeah, come yeah, cheap. Yeah, yeah, don't come cheap. Yeah, correct, correct. Listen, in general, um, the, the 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 prices are good. I see some very very fancy uh, weanling prices being uh, made around the country, but they are for the cream of the oh, cream the of the crop. The cream, the cream, the cream. You're talking about three fifty to four euro a kilo. You know, it's it's some phenomenal money. I heard a suck calf, uh, Belgian blue suck calf, maybe maybe four weeks old, may get into six fifty, seven hundred quid. You know what I mean? I just wonder. You know, let's let's have a little bit of caution around uh, because I feel that it's going to be uh, a long, long time for that fella to make money. And prices at the moment are being inflated by by supply and demand. Now, okay, if 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 supply isn't there, uh, uh, you're you're naturally enough going to have a buy and trade. And uh, at the at the moment, that that is what is helping things. And um, we don't want if the, if the the problem is that if the product gets too expensive, uh, we'll, you'll have the consumer cutting back on 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 on, on volume. Well, I, I, I would argue that the price of meat is heavily deflated anyway. Oh, I agree. It's, it's yeah, not yeah, make, yeah. for its nutritional value. It's it's not making the kind of money it should be making. It's extremely dense protein, high quality, produced to the highest standards in oh, the world. Of course, George. of course, of course. And, and here in Ireland, we do the best. We do the creme de creme here. You know, between our milk and our beef, etc. Uh, we, as I often said, it's it's from a gra- grass base. So that is it's coming from from uh, you couldn't get better. Than that, and looking at uh, looking at uh, uh, views on the television tonight, talking about global war- warming, it's a serious situation developing not only in parts of Europe, Matt, but uh, in Africa and Asia also. So um, uh, we give out about the rain as long as we don't get too much of it. Uh, it is an ideal climate, and this year we would love a bit drier than usual spring, so that people would get a good start well, uh, for twenty twenty four. Well, so say all of us. It was one miserable night last night, it and was, was followed it was. by. A miserable day, day today, yeah. and another couple of days apparently of, of misery. After that, maybe a, a, a glimmer of hope uh, that the, that the weather might take up because it's badly, badly wanted. Uh, badly wanted, and, and, and as you know, in this uh, in this uh, country of ours, it's a great topic of conversation. Which is nearly the only topic of <laughs> conversation. But George, something the, the the minister Raymond Ryan mentioned earlier: water. Okay, we get too much water, and we get it at the wrong time and in the wrong places, etc., etc. But we're able to grow grass. There are places is like as he mentioned southern Spain where it's yeah. becoming not just parched and dry but desertified Deser- well it is because there's nothing growing you know and, 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 and as I said and that's why I think that looking forward to when, what you can produce in a country like Ireland a small we are only a small Ireland on the periphery of Europe and we can produce the best uh, quality beef and the best quality milk and like after all the population of the world is expanding and they need feeding Yes, and uh, I, I honestly think even the European Commission in, in recent days were reflective of it. I think there's an increasing recognition that um, ample food supplies is not a given anymore. Correct and right, correct and right. And I, I think that that is definitely being looked at more seriously. The demonstrations would, would suggest that at last, perhaps, there's a glimmer of light in retrospect of all the rules and regulations being introduced that the EU as a whole are listening to what the farmers are saying. George, thank you very much. Martin, thanks for producing and engineering. It was a hectic evening uh, for you especially. From me, Matt O'Keefe, until next week, farm well, farm safely. Good night and goodbye.
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.